0: post your free job on linkedin.com people today
1: life is full of
3: awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com hi molly my name is julia i'm 32 years old I'm a premium subscriber and I'm listening in from Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to say thank you for this amazing podcast. It has really made me feel less alone in my struggles, Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I started to listen to your podcast when I was first diagnosed with borderline about one and a half years ago, and it has helped me so much to understand the disorder to understand myself and my behaviors. Uh, And it has also given me tools and food for thought uh, to develop in my journey to create a life that I want to live. And uh, tomorrow, after one year of waiting, I will finally start DBT. And I'm very nervous, but also so excited and yeah i guess i just wanted to share it with someone who understands uh keep doing what you're doing and thank you again for this podcast and yeah have a lovely sunday
0: hi molly Uh, my name is marina or i live in tampa florida i'm
3: 25 um and i just finished listening to your first episode of the hero's journey um i just want to thank you a lot for everything that you've put into this um I've been a hardcore atheist for most of my adult life, and um, I was very religious when I was very young. And holding the white rose really brought up a lot for me. I don't know what religion is gonna look like for me. I don't I don't wanna go back to Christianity, but I think I need something to function as a human. And um, that exercise really helped me
1: facilitate that idea Um, thank you Molly okay bye
0: thank you both Julia and Marina for your lovely voicemails Julia your voicemail filled with so much joy and I am wishing you lots of luck as you start DBT I know how long the wait lists can be to get into those programs so good for you for staying strong for that year-long wait and i am honored that the podcast has been able to be a companion for you and i love how you emphasize that the podcast has just helped you better understand yourself it's given you tools to find your way on your own journey the way you worded that made me really happy because that's all i want for my listeners. I don't want you to find my way. I want you to find your way because that's the only way that's going to stick. And Marina, thank you for sharing so vulnerably about your experience listening to the first episode of The Hero's Journey. So for those of you who aren't aware, for my premium subscribers, I've been walking them through step-by-step for like the last 10 or 12 weeks in a really in-depth series that I've been doing that really helps you more deeply connect to your intuition and your own sense of spirituality. It's really good for anyone who has maybe experienced religious or spiritual trauma. And for those who have experienced religion, as something that has been used to shame or belittle you or make you feel like something is wrong with you. So if that sounds interesting, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium access and dive into those issues. But Marina, thank you for sharing that. And I can relate a lot to you because I experienced religion as something pretty traumatic when I was a little kid. and. The fact that you shared that religion or spirituality is still something you're figuring out, what it will look like for you, that's beautiful. Just keep going with that. You will find something that feels right. You just have to trust. And you said something that really stopped me in my tracks and you said, I feel like I need something to function as a human. And by something you mean like some kind of spiritual practice. And I agree with that. I believe that all of us have to have some kind of understanding that we are a piece in a big patchwork quilt, an important piece, but also just one of many and we're connected to something bigger than ourselves. And you can find meaning in that in thousands of different ways and combinations, and you don't have to just take the, the prescribed version. Even Christianity is having this kind of like cool punk rock version of itself. If you haven't ever heard of Christian contemplative Christianity, I urge you to check it out. There are some people in the Christian religion right now that are dabbling with like mixing elements of Christian mysticism, Zen Buddhism, and more modern spiritual thoughts and coming up with something that's pretty cool. So that could be something that you could check out, but I never pressure anyone to take any kind of spiritual route because Truly, in my own path, the right resources have made themselves available at the right times. So just trust and start maybe rebuilding what spirituality means to you and recognizing that you don't have to take the same prescription that's been given to you since you were a child. There's so much more out there. So we're going to dive into the main topic of today's episode, and that is the importance of trauma-informed approaches to mental health and what that means for you. This episode is relevant for anyone and everyone, especially if you are labeling yourself with any diagnostic label that is in our DSM, which is the Diagnostic statistical manual <laughs> that's a tongue twister say that three times fast that's the book that's used to diagnose people with mental illnesses and disorders here in the western world in Europe and other parts of the world they have something called the ICD10 and it differs in various ways to the DSM for example in Europe they refer to BPD as E-U-P-D, which is Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder. I hate both labels. (laughs) And if you're a long-term listener, you will know that I am not a big fan of those. But if you are out there in the world trying to find quote-unquote solutions, cures, aids, and helps for your quote-unquote mental health, then you should be Very well informed and empower yourself with the knowledge of the different types of theories and approaches and frameworks that the people that might be treating you were trained in. And this might sound boring, but knowledge is power and the average everyday person is not aware of the things that I'm about to share with you in today's podcast episode, and if you have a basic understanding of this, you are ahead of the curve in terms of your understanding of the medical model of mental health, and also you'll be able to better select for yourself mental health practitioners if you choose to seek Treatment in that way. You'll be able to better protect yourself and advocate for yourself with professionals of all kinds. And it's just all around a great thing for you to understand. And I'm saving you a lot of trouble because to develop an understanding of this requires going in and diving into the research. And I'm able to distill this for you in a pretty succinct way. So I'm going to do my best here. Thankfully, I have the help of one of my favorite people on Instagram, Dr. Jessica Taylor. She is sharing tons of incredibly helpful reflections about mental health. She is a fierce activist. She's very feminist, and she's also a fighter and advocator for trauma-informed approaches to mental health, and so she posted this Instagram post and I'm going to kind of go through it. We're going to talk about it and reflect, but I just want to shout her out because she's the one who put this information together and made it so nice for us to be able to discuss it today on this episode. So if you are interested in hearing more about what she has to say, you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Jess Taylor. I'll also link her in the episode description. I have also read a couple of her books, which I loved. So highly recommend checking out Jess and her work and supporting her. So let's read the caption first and then we'll kind of talk about it and then we're going to dive into her post here. So the caption says, (laughs) fancy some Sunday morning learning? You may be wondering why this guide includes information about theoretical frameworks of mental health and distress, and if you are, this may mean that you require more information about trauma-informed approaches. The term has been heavily used recently and is in danger of becoming a meaningless, toothless buzzword. The reason we must ensure that all leaders have a solid understanding of what it means to be trauma-informed is precisely because it is a framework of mental health. When we talk about being trauma-informed, we're talking about a theoretical and philosophical approach to understanding mental health, disorder, illness, distress, oppression, and abuse. It is one of several theoretical approaches. It's quickly becoming more popular, but it's not the most dominant approach to understanding human distress. The most common approach
2: is the widely used medical model, which is dominant in all sectors in the UK and wider Western cultures and societies. Our NHS policing, social work, safeguarding, probation, prison services, psychology, psychotherapy services, nurseries, schools, colleges, universities, charities, court services, law and legislation are all based on the medical model of mental health it is vital that everyone is on the same page and understands what we're trying to do is move away from the medical model. So that's the caption. And she calls out a few really important things here that I think the average everyday person isn't aware of. As she listed that exhausted list of all of the, um, different types of institutions that are core to the way society is run and determine a lot of social outcomes, they are operating within a certain theoretical framework, which is the medical model of mental health. They are all part of the same school of thought. They all believe that mental health, emotional and psychological distress can be explained in the terms of medical definitions like disordered, or chemical imbalances. But it's important to understand that this is just a theory. None of this has been proven by science, but it's a widely accepted theoretical framework that all of these important institutions adhere to and make decisions based upon. And what we can all agree with is that that's not working. More and more and more and more people are becoming mentally ill, More and more people are being diagnosed every year. Antidepressant prescriptions of psychiatric medications are skyrocketing. And it's not helping. Our teenagers in the world are getting more and more depressed. So we know that this theoretical framework has its limitations at best and should be thrown in the complete trash at worst. So... Your average everyday mental health therapist probably just went to, had a four-year degree, had two years of their master's program, and then did some practicing under the observation of another, th- another therapist, took a test, and now they're out there in the wild being a therapist. So I did about a year of my master's when I thought that I might want to become a therapist. And very quickly, I realized it was not for me. I saw all of the students I was learning with. This was an online university that will remain nameless. There were some horrifically racist and homophobic things being shared. A lot of these students that were studying to become therapists were saying really stigmatizing things about people with BPD, it was just shocking. And then I witnessed the instructors also parroting some of these beliefs back, not necessarily the racist and homophobic ones, but just problematic and stigmatizing things. And I realized, wow, we're all just not on the same page. There's so much stigma. It's time for a new framework. And right now what we're experiencing is a lot of growing pains. There are psychiatrists and psychotherapists, psychologists, therapists at the highest level right now of academia calling out like, Hey, this stuff isn't working. We need something new, but think about how long it takes for changes to happen. Nobody really wants to make change. It doesn't even have to be a big conspiracy theory, even though I think there is elements of that. I think that it is very good for certain people in power for large groups of people to believe that they're Chemicals in their brain are imbalanced, and that something's wrong with them and they're disordered rather than having to actually address the systemic issues that we're all facing. That's a lot easier, right? So it's not necessarily happening in smoky back rooms. It's just the status quo. And unless we all fight against it, unless we're all empowered with this knowledge and start asking questions of the people delivering our care, nothing is going to change. So, as I mentioned before, there are these different theoretical frameworks and there are people in the highest levels of academia right now advocating for something different, calling out the medical model of mental health for the theory that it is. It is a theory, which means a a hypothesis. It is not something that has been proven by fact, but it is almost widely accepted as if it was proven. And of course, there are certain people in the, in the medical field, the mental health field, that will get very triggered and they cling very tightly to the medical model. And you have to wonder, right, about that because when people cling very tightly to an ideology and do not want to hear any dissenting opinions or see maybe any different research, that's a stroke your chin, maybe put a red flag in it kind of moment, right? Because we don't understand much about the human personality or human emotion we'd like to think that we do but we really haven't come much further than the middle ages when we thought that you know we needed to put leeches on a woman's arm to bleed her if she was acting hysterical and that that would balance out her four humors right we look back on that and think oh that's what those were the dark ages well have we really come that much further Not so much. So let's learn about the different types of frameworks that the systems that are helping you, harming you, prescribing you, not prescribing you, right? Whatever is your personal story. But these are the systems, specifically in the West, this is how they're set up. And so it's really important to understand this. And be able to advocate for yourself and make decisions for you. Because at the end of the day, there are systems out there, but you are your own best advocate. You have to ask questions of people, maybe challenge things calmly, reflect, gather the information, and then make your best decision. So let's read Jess's post here. The first slide says, To understand why we must move towards trauma-informed approaches, we first must understand that this constitutes a revolutionary, theoretical, and ideological change. That's why it makes so many people uncomfortable.
0: The medical model of mental health is currently dominant, but that can change. It is, after all, only a theory, one of many. So, what is the medical model?
2: The medical model is shorthand for a theory of mental health, which suggests that a mental illness, disease, and disorder should be identified, treated, and managed in the same way as a physical injury, illness, disease, or disorder. This model describes and responds to mental illness as a set of mental disorders caused by or linked to brain diseases or defects, which require pharmacological treatments, that's medications, to target presumed biological abnormalities. The medical model tends to assume that mental health issues are caused by biological and neurological issues in the brain. Some people lean towards brain chemistry explanations and some talk about neuroscience explanations. Some talk about hereditary mental illness and genetics. This approach places the mental health issues and illnesses securely and exclusively in our brains. It posits that mental illness is just like a physical illness and should be treated as such. It is more heavily used in psychiatry, but it is now prominent in psychology and some areas of psychotherapy too. So I've heard something recently, this isn't from Jess's post,
0: but The connection between the medical model of mental health is dangerously towing the line very closely to something called eugenics. And eugenics is a scientific theory, by the way, a theory, and so is the medical model of mental health is also a theory. And eugenics was a scientific theory of, quote, racial improvement and quote planned breeding which gained popularity in the early 20th century not very long ago eugenicists worldwide believed that they could perfect human beings and eliminate so-called social ills through genetics and heredity if you have ever seen the movie get out it has very um strong references to that time in history of eugenics The medical model of mental illness is a very similar theory. It doesn't necessarily call out that they're trying to perfect the human race or dip its toes into the the deep racist roots of eugenics, but it does say and call out that brains should function a certain type of way. And if they don't function the way we want them to, we will label them disordered or even label large swaths of people who may just be traumatized. For example, maybe Native Americans, black Americans who have undergone the
2: most deep, deep systemic injustices and trauma, and you're labeling them as somehow defective or with something wrong with their brains. So at worst, it is horrifyingly close to eugenics, the medical model of mental health, And at best, it's just not even close to seeing the whole picture. So what can we decide about the outcome of what the medical model of mental health? I think that we can all agree that it's not working, but at worst, it could take us to a really scary place because Nazi Germany went to full Nazi death camp real quick and I'm not saying that's what's happening with the medical model of mental health right now, but I am saying that I think there's a lot wrong with that, and we're not really looking it in the face enough, the darkness of that. And I want you to be aware of that as my listener.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: This is the theoretical framework that all of the systems, the government systems that you're seeking help from, this is the framework that they use. And even if a therapist, for example, may not believe in that framework, it's the framework they're forced to being, to practice through and measure success off of. It's all so skewed. This is why I speak to so many mental health professionals all across the board and academics that say, this is wrong. We shouldn't be using this framework. It doesn't even allow us to help people in the way that we want to or need to. And sometimes, a lot of times, it is actively harming people. Sometimes it is chemically castrating people. It is calling them disordered, locking them up and throwing away the key and not allowing them to even qualify for Special programs that could commute a prison sentence because they have this disordered brain. It's deeply flawed and deeply wrong and deeply harmful and deeply
0: ineffective. It makes me sad because other theoretical frameworks or ways to view psychological suffering are pushed aside and not even given their chance to shine because the medical model is so dominant. And I feel like we only ever hear about the medical model or the trauma-informed model, but there are others. And so I'm really excited to talk about them with you now. So the next one is the social model. The social model is shorthand for a theory of mental health, which suggests that humans are impacted by their context environment, and experiences, instead of suggesting that behaviors, feelings, and thoughts are mental illnesses and disorders, the social model encourages us to look at the factors surrounding the person to consider what might be causing their distress. The social model usually does not support psychiatric diagnosis, but it can sometimes be used to argue that social factors are, quote, causing mental illness. The social model of mental health locates the cause or root of a so-called mental health issue within the social environment or context of the person instead of inside the person themselves. The social model opposes all biological models rather than suggesting that mental health or illness is in the brain or body of the person, those who subscribe to the social model examine the factors around the person every and any contextual social cultural or environmental factor could be the cause of distress or mental health issue including where you live poverty oppression abuse discrimination or peer and family issues and while this model doesn't support biological models of mental health It's often used this way. It's not commonly used in psychiatry. It is more
2: common in psychology, social work, and psychotherapy. So you will likely have heard of the social model when you think of things like family systems therapy, instead of taking a child into therapy and saying they're the problem, fix them. They have BPD, someone with a more social understanding or framework of, quote unquote, mental illness would probably be hesitant to label this child as disordered. They want to know what's happening in the family system. What is mom doing? What's dad doing? What is their life at school? Like, do they have enough to eat? They're looking at the environment and they're going, how might this child's environment be giving rise to what is being presented here in the therapy room? And I love how this article says that while this model, the social model, doesn't support biological models of mental health, like the medical model, it is often used this way. And what's coming up for me when I read that is how many therapists I speak to who are more social model and trauma-informed model wired, but they are being forced to report to systems like insurance companies or deal with psychiatrists or other medical agencies, and they're having to put everything they do through the lens of the medical model, even though they truly believe, and in their practice, they are more social model and trauma-informed model. And that's the problem. When we've got amazing therapists and providers out there, that they're having to give people diagnoses and jump through the hoops of insurance companies to... And do things like cognitive behavioral therapy where they say, we'll do six sessions and then they're cured and they're out the door and get as many people through to make as much money as possible. A lot of therapists hate this. They would rather move towards a social model, but they're having to jump through these hoops. Imagine if they didn't have to jump through these hoops. So to reiterate, the social model of mental illness, different than the medical model, the medical model, in contrast, believes that All mental illness originates from inside the brain, brain chemistry, abnormality, mental disorders of thinking, acquired brain injury, and like genetic predisposition, predisposition rather to mental illness. Now on the other side of the coin, we have the social model where mental illness in the brain is caused by external factors, chronic stressful situations, abuse, violence, and threat, poverty, inequality, oppression social and uh, societal stereotypes and expectations, accidents and injuries, loss, grief, disabilities, right? Imagine this picture of a brain and it's being attacked by all of these things. How can you function at your best when you have all of this to deal with? So understand that if you are someone who's gone into the the office of a mental health practitioner and you've been like dead set on getting a diagnosis and you kind of feel this resistance, or even they say it outright, I will not give you a diagnosis. It's likely because they truly in their heart are believing more of a social trauma informed, which we're going to talk about soon model. They don't believe that your brain can be disordered, your personality can be disordered. They want to know more about you. They want to know what happened, what was the environment you were around. They're trying to help and use a different theoretical framework than the one you want, which is the, tell me what's wrong with me, maybe give me a pill, pat me on the butt and make me feel better and make it go away. They don't believe in that because that model is actually not effective and it's being proven actively with research that it's, Bogus. So now let's talk about another model, the biopsychosocial model. The biopsychosocial model is an interdisciplinary approach to understanding mental health by looking at the way biological factors in the medical model and socio environmental factors in the social model and other psychological factors intersect, right? The biopsychosocial model of mental health was developed in part to address some of the gaps of a purely medical model of mental health. In 1977, a man named George Engel argued that the biomedical model ignored many other factors that could be contributing to mental illness. There are three domains, he believed, that explained mental illness. One was biological factors genetics, brain chemistry, disease, brain injury, then psychological factors, emotions, resilience, interpretation, vulnerabilities, and then social factors, which is life, trauma, and stressors, family, and child experiences. So you see here, biological factors, psychological factors, social factors, bio, psycho, social, model The original arguments were that mental illness was made up of complex interplay between these three domains, bio, psycho, and social, with many connections between and within them. However, as time has gone on, this model has become gradually more medical and biological with the other intersecting factors being minimized. So imagine a little brain, unlike the one before, and with the biopsychosocial model, They still believe that there could be brain defects, imbalances inside the brain, but also being attacked by these social factors. And that's what gives rise to quote unquote mental illness. And just like with the social model, the biopsychosocial model should be balanced. But unfortunately it's not because again, all of our, the primary systems that really call the shots, the big corporations, unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with now the APA, pharmaceutical companies, the the people who put together the DSM, insurance companies, all of these big institutions are really numbers-driven and the medical model works for that. And even if we are claiming it's biopsychosocial, we're still waiting a lot more on the bio part, on the medical part, because it's the easy button. So that leaves us with the trauma-informed model. The trauma-informed model is an approach to understanding mental distress and mental health that considers that a change in behavior, thought, or emotion arises from past or current trauma. Within this context, trauma can be variable and dynamic. And while trauma used to be considered as a one-off, life-threatening event it's now accepted that it encompasses any set of event or events that cause deep distress, disturbance, fear, harm, or injury. A little bit of a sidebar for me here. That's why now with more trauma-informed approaches becoming more mainstream, we have the understanding of what's called big T traumas, which are things like a an earthquake or sexual abuse, or a family member going to prison, these are huge events, then we have what's called little T traumas that might just be a little bit of like harmless schoolyard bullying to an adult, but that leaves a mark on a child, maybe forgetting to pick them up at the exact time that they wanted and they had to sit there for 20 minutes in the school parking lot. That can be a little T trauma doesn't mean that we have to beat ourselves up as parents, but it's just recognizing that these little things cause reactions and responses, big and little things, big T and little t trauma. The trauma-informed approach to mental health, illness, and distress argues that there are undeniable and consistent strong correlations between all so-called mental health issues and human trauma, distress, and depression. Therefore, it is argued that disorders, illnesses, and diseases are likely to be natural, physical, and physiological manifestations of human trauma and distress in response to events and experiences in our lives, not brain abnormalities or mental illnesses. To summarize, let's just briefly take a high-level look at the trauma-informed approach. So the trauma-informed approach to mental health says there is no mental illness. The brain and body are responding to external stressors and traumas in a normal way using coping mechanisms and trauma responses. And outside of us, the things that these external stressors that might be triggering these coping mechanisms and trauma responses in us may be things like societal a stereotype expectation, the poverty, inequality, oppression, abuse violence and threat, accidents, injuries, et cetera. the same ones that we looked at in the social model of mental illness. And you might be thinking at this point, the social model actually sounds a lot like the trauma-informed approach. And I would agree with you on that and I myself am even still trying to wrestle with the major difference. But regardless, I think that the if we're there's going to be a right path, surely it really does have to be a truly, if we truly embraced a holistic biopsychosocial model, the bio part could be maybe not that our brains are broken and that there's chemical imbalances and that we're genetically predisposed to be schizophrenic or something like that, but maybe we look at... Biotemperament, which is we are emotionally over controlled or under controlled. Like we've talked in previous episodes. Some of us are wired more emotionally over or under controlled. Some of us are more intense and emotional. And these are things that can be seen in our childhood personalities from birth. It's just kind of part of who we are. Doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just means that it is what it is. I think there is an element of we have an essence of who we are, but these things about us, our normal way of being becomes either kind of twisted and maybe turned from adaptive to maladaptive when things happen to us as kids. And so maybe the volume has been turned up a little more on things that may make it harder for us to interact and form relationships. This is the way that I think we should be viewing these things with more nuance, but with nuanced understandings also comes more difficult time, I think, putting this into a framework that applies for big groups of people. So that's why I can understand why a model like the medical model has just been the most widely used one, because it's easy to just blanket paint a big group of people with the same diagnostic terms and chemical imbalances than having to deal with the deeply rooted societal and systemic issues that come along with the trauma-informed and social theories. So in her post, Jess finishes it, the final slide, I believe, is saying this, the trauma-informed approach to mental health is the only one which completely situates the issues and difficulties outside of the human brain and in society, environment, oppression, violence, abuse, capitalism, and control. In all the other models, it still serves societal control to tell people that their problems are in their heads and they have an illness that needs to be treated. A trauma-informed approach avoids this individualistic way of thinking about human distress So now she's answered the question I was asking just a moment ago, which is what's the difference between the social model and trauma-informed model? Because they both sound pretty good to me. Well, the social model still states that the brain is, there is some kind of illness or problem in the brain. The trauma-informed model is the model that says, no, there are no brain issues. It's all just Natural and normal responses. So, what does this look like in reality, right? This would look like a woman who has maybe been sex trafficked since she was 14 years old, and maybe she slept with some really attractive looking guys. And so she didn't always hate the work that she was being forced to do, but sometimes she did. And maybe she was asking for it, you know. But then as she gets older, she starts having some of these trauma responses. She starts feeling suicidal, right? And she goes and seeks help from a trauma-informed therapist, hopefully. If this young woman presented herself to a trauma-informed therapist, that therapist would help her understand that these are natural responses to be having given what she had been through. A trauma-informed therapist would help her understand that even if you enjoyed yourself or told yourself at the time you were enjoying yourself, you weren't old enough to make those decisions. And these adults were using predatory behavior. There's nothing wrong with you. You responded naturally and normally given what you had been through. A trauma-informed therapist would never say what someone who might be a hardline believer of the medical model might do. So if this same girl presented to a provider who was a hardcore medical model, maybe psychiatrist type person, would then prescribe her medications to correct a chemical imbalance that she was having in her brain, rather than asking her, what happened to you? That's why one of my favorite books that I've listened to, I say listened to, because this one I listened to on Audible, I didn't read it, but it was called, What Happened to You? And it's by Oprah and... Dr. Bruce Perry. And this book is a very trauma-informed message behind it. It is focusing on asking someone what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you. I really hope that us exploring these different theoretical frameworks, these different theories of mental health, I hope this empowers you. If you know anyone who is being treated within the mental health system right now in any way, if you have a friend who has a child experiencing mental health issues, if your child does, if you are yourself, share this episode far and wide with anyone you think it could help. This isn't just for anyone who identifies with BPD. This is anyone who is out there and is getting treatment services or putting their Trust and free will in the hands of mental health practitioners in the West specifically because I've only ever myself experienced mental health treatment in the United Kingdom and the United States, but I also have backing me the voicemails and emails and conversations I've had with hundreds of listeners at this point who have experienced being harmed by a medical model first approach to psychological suffering, but with a deeper understanding of these frameworks and understanding that it is just a theory and there are different theories and there's a lot of infighting going on in the mental health space. The average everyday person doesn't see that or hear about it. So to empower yourself with this understanding allows you to interview therapists Ask questions of the people that are responsible for your mental health care and treatment and know when to walk away. There's no point in fighting someone, by the way, also on their ideology. If you disagree or you're hearing things being said by a medical uh, mental health practitioner, ask curious questions, observe, listen, and then decide what you want to do afterwards. There's no point in trying to change the mind of another adult person. You can't change them, but you can listen thoughtfully to responses after you've asked questions and then make the best decision for your own treatment and health moving forward. And maybe finding another practitioner who you can interview and make sure you're aligned and maybe have better treatment outcomes and expectations. These conversations have to happen. We have to start demanding our mental health practitioners be more informed and stay up to date with the current research. But if we're not demanding it, if we're not asking the questions, then it's going to be really difficult for the hard conversations to happen, for change to occur, because it has to start small before it gets systemic. So you can do your part just by asking the questions and informing yourself and sharing this episode with someone who you think it might help. So I hope you enjoyed this. Share it far and wide. If you have a reaction or response, feel free to send me a voicemail to hear your voice on the podcast. You can do that on my website. Check out all the goodies on there. And I hope that until we meet again next week, you have a great one and you feel a little more informed now than you did 45 minutes ago. I get really
0: passionate about this stuff. (laughs) That's why I know that I'm doing something that I love. So thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for letting me be really spicy and passionate about this. And I hope you have an amazing week. And I look forward to seeing you next time.